generally things that are common is there might be easements, power easements. You know, you, your, your utility company may have a power line underground or above ground where they have a right to go in there within a certain distance and maintain the lines. Now, you would still own it, but you can't generally put build your house underneath, you know, right next to a power pole. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for episode 44 of the Panelized Prefab Kit Home Building Show. With me in studio is the president and founder of Landmark Home and Land Company, a company which has been helping people build their new homes where they want, exactly as they want, nationwide and around the globe since 1993, Mr. Steve Tuma. Steve, how you doing, pal? Hey, life is good. We've got some interesting topics today. I was looking at this a little different, maybe a little bit farther out than normal, where (laughs) items that maybe people don't always think about. Yeah, I actually gave you a little time to to let you see what I was going to actually ramble on about today instead of surprising you. So, So like, bam. Hopefully it makes... throw him a curveball. Hopefully it makes a little bit of a difference. So, um, uh, today we're going to have Steve explain some of the uh, ups and downs, difficulties, issues, um, maybe some of the challenges associated with building site restrictions, something that every owner builder has to contend with at some point in the scope of their project, and yet just another aspect of building that Landmark Home and Land Company has become expert in dealing with over the years. So, Steve, to start off, uh, to start off with, what are some of the common building setbacks uh, owners have uh, owner builders have to contend with, and how how can Landmark help uh, jump these hurdles? Well, this is kind of interesting because uh, you know there's a variety of different restrictions on land mm-hmm. in some places, and yes, there are parts in uh, of America where there is not a building department. You know, so literally you can go have a piece of land, dig a hole, put a house in there and, you know, there there you go. Mm-hmm. Some of those areas you just go and register, say you're building others, literally you dig a hole and start building a house. And then there's other areas that are extremely restrictive mm-hmm. on how you can use the land, drainage situations, can you park in the street, can you park in the driveway. Uh, you know, there's a variety of different things. Now, a lot of people think, oh, some of those restrictions are good. Some of them think that they're bad. Chances are that there's um, already restrictions. Like some people don't know that they're already falling in them. Like in a city, you can't keep cattle in your backyard. Mm-hmm. You don't think of it when you're in Manhattan or Chicago or Miami <laughs> of, hey, let, let me just bring my bovine in the backyard and, <laughs> right. you know, do stuff like that. So there, there chances are if you're in a place where there's a building department, there is, and, and it's not always building departments, it's zoning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it, it could be title restrictions. So I don't want to make get get too complicated, but the, the basic uh, situation that we run into is some areas don't have restrictions and some areas are very restrictive. Mm-hmm. Whatever the situation is for your land, we can work through it to, to help someone understand what they are. Generally, things that are common is there might be easements, power easements. You know, you, your, your utility company may have a power line underground or above ground mm-hmm. where they have a right to go in there within a certain distance and maintain the lines. Sure. Now, now you would still own it, but you can't generally put build your house underneath, you know, right next to a power pole. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there'll be situations like that. There have been situations where there's mineral rights or, or maybe a, a, a neighbor has a landlocked piece of land and a prior owner has given an easement to cross your land 
mm-hmm. for them to to access it. Those are generally all in the title, you know, and, and uh, you can go through and see that. Hey, the power company has this easement. My neighbor has an easement on the land, and generally those are all disclosed when you purchase the land, so mm-hmm. it should it should be available of what's there. Then there's sometimes homeowners um, or, or just tighter communities. So homeowners associations can go through and, you know, be unrestrictive. Sure. They might they might say, hey, you have to have earth tone colors. You can't have a neon orange house. Mm-hmm. You can't put a you can't paint graphics on your house. They may go through and say you can't have work trucks in the house. You can't park in the street for longer than a certain time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't have certain types of activities on your land. You know whether it's agricultural things or you you can't have a you can't start a machine shop in your garage right. type of things. Mm-hmm. But then there's also um, different situations that we've come in in different communities and uh, and different homeowners associations where they want to know. And it's also a zoning and a planning department situation where they want to know the building envelope in a sense. Mm-hmm. So if, if you had a lot that's 100 feet by 100 feet, you can't fill the whole lot with a building. You know, right. you're going to have building setbacks where you've got to be so far from the front and back. Of course, yeah. And say it leaves a certain, say, say it leaves a building, you know, within the building setbacks, there's a 50 by 50 area. Mm-hmm. They may say that of the complete lot square footage, you can only have 30% coverage. Sure, yeah. So if you have a 10,000 square foot lot, you can only cover the lot 3,000 square feet. Uh, right. Sometimes that's with the house. Sometimes that's a house, patio, sidewalks, driveways. Um, and sometimes they do it to keep green space, you know, so that, so yeah, that yeah, people yeah. have yards and they don't want houses next to it. Mm-hmm. Other places that's done as a result of drainage because they want to know in, in, in areas where there's floods or big rains, where where the water is going to run off to? Mm-hmm. They don't want you filling your backyard with cement, because then the the water doesn't go through cement; it drains off into your neighbors. Sure, yeah. and then you flood your neighbor out. So there, <laughs> there's there's a there's a lot of interesting um, situations there. We've also run into them where it kind of becomes a 3D thing. It's not just the the coverage of the land; it's up. Some communities don't want you to go build up so that you block the sun into your neighbor's house. Right. Or you have this big monolith that just, you know, it, it, it kind of clogs the feel of the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, when everything's just big and there's there's no airflow, there's, there's no space for trees, there isn't space for, uh, you know, sunlight to come through. So they don't want to create dark neighborhoods. Now, what's interesting on these, these are generally all laid out when you purchase it in uh, covenants and restrictions, homeowners requirements, planning departments of your community. So before you buy the land, you can, you can have this. What's really cool about it is it's not something where the customer has to calculate that themselves. We can help them to figure out, Hey, what's the, you know, what's the footprint of your house? What's the footprint of your sidewalk, your driveways and, and, and things like that. So it's all stuff we can help them with on the the development of of their land sometimes it gets a little more complex and depending on how deep the the building and planning department is we might need a civil engineer if they if they need something certified where someone's doing some extreme calculations to make sure this works Mm -hmm. so we're all set up to get through this but that's uh it's it's kind of interesting it's kind of stuff that sometimes people look at a neighborhood and say oh this is nice look at this there's birds in the trees the sun's coming through well, that's that's likely because someone maybe made an, an effort to to restrict, um, you know, 
to restrict it so that you don't end up with a big enclosed neighborhood that just doesn't feel like a comfortable place to be. We've also run into situations, um, mainly in the beach communities, um, where houses are close together. Uh-huh. So what they've what what these have done in some places is they've requested that we do designs that show that you can't look from one home's window into the neighboring home's window. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't want you know your family's great room looking into your bathroom of the neighbor's house right. type of thing. So we we've, <clears throat> we've done different analysis of this and that. Now the point is there's all different types of situations we can help the customer get through it. They don't have to sort out where their window is, you know, where their garage is. Um, there, there's a variety of different situations. I just thought of something else. This isn't just also land coverage. We've run into situations where it's noise, uh, where your home cannot emit more than 75 decibels at the lot line. Wow. So you think about that. 75 decibels, I think, is like a, a typical conversation. Right. But let's just say you had a pool there. And your pool motor consist has a consistent right, hum right. that could annoy you or your neighbors. Right. So so there's there's different things like that, that that we can work with. And it's it's really interesting to see what goes on. And sometimes people would say, Hey, what's the big deal? You know, this is a little weird, but you, you can kind of understand what where these come through. But like I say, the big thing is is that we can help people understand what's going on with their land. Mm-hmm. And then how to use it and how to work around some of these details. And we've done it a lot, so it's not a big deal for us to find a solution if you're building in one of the communities where it's a a tighter restriction, more restrictive to do it. The reality is most people's land, I would say 80-90% of the land, there's building setbacks. You know, so so you might have to be twenty feet off the front line, ten feet off the side, and twenty feet off the back, and that can vary by community. We can work with those. Occasionally, there's an easement, a power line easement, an easement for a neighbor's driveway, whatever it is. Generally, these things are are pretty simple, and we deal with them every day. So I don't want to scare people by getting into the deeper kind of rarer situations. I just want to point out we've we've likely seen your situation. So if you're building in one of these more exclusive communities where there's a lot of restrictions, we probably worked with it before. But if you're working out in the country kind of in land where, you know, they allow you to do whatever you want, we could still work with you to develop a sensible plan to make sure that that your house works well with the land. So it's a variety of different situations, historic committees, um, you know, agricultural restrictions, zoning setbacks, planning setbacks building department setbacks, easements for utilities. Um, we had one family. There was a cemetery in their backyard Whoa. You know, from, from way back. It was a family farm. Uh-huh. And there was a little plot, just a little like 20 by 20 plot that was a restriction on there because the county <laughs> had rights to go in there and maintain this thing. So yeah. every once in a while you get that little curveball where you raise your eyebrow and go, I never thought of that one. Yeah. Well, we've run into that as well. I just thought of something listening to you speak. Yeah, Landmark not only helps customers build their new homes, you guys are good for neighborhood and community relations as well, making sure that people aren't looking into each other's bathrooms and stuff like that. Well, yeah, it's 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 uh we live in a different world and it's 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 you know, it's just hey, do you want to be sitting there on your your you know, your your holiday dinner and looking at your neighbors uh right. You know, maybe if you like your neighbors you'll do that, but so, sometimes, <laughs> you know, 
maybe uh but some people have that concern some people don't a lot of our projects are out in the country where yeah. you know the neighbor's the squirrel that runs through the yard every night or whatever it is but the the point is there's there's a lot of different situations oh there's also height restrictions uh-huh that's a really really unique one because we've been running into a, a lot of situations and i would say more in the rockies and in the sierras mm-hmm. on how they calculate the height of a building okay so if you're on a flat lot with you know say a simple ranch home with walls that are nine feet tall and then a roof that's nine feet for easy math i'll call that an 18 foot high building Mm -hmm. but if you suddenly put that house on the side of a hill and it's got multiple roof lines how do you calculate the height so some areas will take the average of the four corners, not you know, sometimes those homes have more than four corners, but they'll take the average of the four corners in relation to the peak, the closest peak at each one of those corners. But other communities will go through and say the height is based on the average roof height from the eve of the roof to the peak of the roof. The average height there down to the lowest point of the ground. We've also had situations, and this is becoming more and more common in in Colorado especially, where they're saying the height of the building is not based on the finished grade. It's on the existing grade before anyone touched the ground. Okay. So it's kind of unique. We even had one where the customer went out, got a surveyor, and said, hey, this is your existing grade. And the county said, no, that was altered 20 years ago existing grade is somewhere else so we we've if if someone's in one of those communities where they really get into it it's uh it's something that we we work with up front in the design issue to make sure that the the home fits within the the whole, whole overall footprint it's kind of unique in situations like that and you know someone might say who cares i own the land let's do it generally these are in very picturesque areas where they don't want you blocking your neighbor's view Sure. Or they don't want houses roofs peaking way above tree line so it, it just doesn't look right in the in the landscape. So so it's kind of uh it's it's kind of neat the way some of these communities run through. Now, the example I just gave of, you know, looking back at grades 20, 30 years ago, that's pretty extreme. I just want to point out to people that we understand it. We've worked through this. And if they have a piece of land where this is uh this comes into play, we've seen it. You know, we we understand the questions asked the building department. Maybe a local surveyor has to be brought in because a lot of these situations, it's not just the design; it's the verification at the building site that what's being done is there. So even at that point, they would have to have a civil engineer come out and say, "Hey, the top of the foundation has to be here for the top of the home to be by by the by the code." Hmm. So it it can get pretty intricate. But again, that's stuff that we process, that we work to take care of. It's kind of like, you know, we kind of, like like every, everyone probably has a mobile phone. No one knows how they work. <laughs> they just know they turn it on, put, you know, put a number in there and do it. We're, we're kind of the same situation where we can get it taken care of. Um, but the nature of our business is a lot of our customers get involved with it, and they enjoy seeing what's going on with this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of unique. And someone will say, well, hey, how complex is that? You just put my roof here and dig down. Well, doesn't always work that way because we have to make sure you can still get in your front door, make sure the drainage out of your garage floor is right, make sure your gutters work. So that's that's the 
that's the fun and excitement we're doing kind of in the back room, as I say. You know? Right. Yeah. We're, we're just kind of working it out, and customers may not even realize that, that we're working on those details. Mm-hmm. Generally, they do, because people that buy properties like that, I, I think, just enjoy the uniqueness of their property and kind of enjoy the process of, of working through it. Yeah, of course. Um, you brought up something just a few minutes ago, and we had talked about it on a previous uh, podcast um, just a couple days ago, I think. But uh, that's the um, that's the issues uh, surrounding uh, building in historic areas and the, the possibilities of running into speed bumps while you're building. And, you know, some people may go into a neighborhood or buy a property and find out that it's historic after they've bought it or something like that. But can you enlighten us as to the ins and outs of uh, dealing with a home build in a, a historic district or a historic neighborhood? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because historic areas can vary across the country. Mm-hmm. So generally, as you get into the East Coast, or an, an oddity is more San Francisco as well. Mm-hmm. But generally, more towards the East Coast type of thing, it's it's a bigger issue where something happened at a certain point or just a historic little town. So some of those can be very restrictive. You know, this mm-hmm. is like the neighborhood where George Washington, you know, Mm-hmm. hung out or something or or had different activities <laughs> so some of them are can be very specific in the uh in the design of the house that it has to have certain features sure yeah others will go through and say it has to give the essence of those features but it could be modernized mm-hmm. so certain roof lines certain porches certain windows certain certain materials I've never seen a historic district say you got to build like they did in 1820. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just materials. You know, there's different codes, safety, fire issues, ventilation issues, things mm-hmm. like that. But that what they'll want to do is mimic it. And generally, it's the exterior only. Right. So they're not going to say, hey, build, build a, a master bedroom like back then when people had one shirt. Mm-hmm. You know, and your closet was three feet wide and 18 inches deep mm-hmm. you know they'll allow you to have the, the amenities of today it's more a, a specific look so some some will get pretty deep to say we want equivalent looking material so even though it might be more of a man-made more modern material they still want to have a look so mm-hmm. some might say hey we want a wood looking siding it can be made out of cement mm-hmm. they just want it to be that that so it's keeping with the spirit of the neighborhood more than anything Right, it's it's keeping like with, with the spirit of it, but then we've seen others that, you know, are very limited, you know, in in scope. They're like, well, this was a historic area, and mm-hmm. some someone might come out and go, well, you can do this under the historic guidelines, or you can't, or sometimes it's more of a recommendation. Mm-hmm. But what we found is that the people that are building in these areas generally enjoy it. They're sure. they're moving into this neighborhood because they have a personal passion for it. So. I haven't really seen where these historic guidelines have been a restriction. It's been kind of more of a guideline for the person to make sure that what they're designing is authentic. Yeah. For 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 the area. So it's it's kind of a And if you're building, kind of a, if you actually buy a property in a historic area, you're probably already aware of, you know, that's why you're buying it there. So it's probably, right. yeah, it's probably not as big an issue as as people might think. Right, you're probably not going to go into Williamsburg, Virginia, and say, "I want my 1950s <laughs> Palm Springs mid-century modern." Right, yeah. You know, driving with my robin egg blue T-bird. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just not. You know, people generally don't do that. Yeah. Um. You know, um, usually the historic buffs they're they're kind of into it for for what the community is made sure, of. Sure. Yeah. Um. 
yeah, now I want to move on to a real sticky one, and that's the uh, ah, the issue of an, of homeowners associations. And, and this has been an issue for decades, and I know you've dealt with this a lot, of course. And some are good, some are truly difficult to deal with, but can Landmark Home and Land Company help to navigate some of those waters regarding working with homeowners associations? Yes, yes, we can. And it's, it's, it's an interesting situation there. Because some homeowners associations are simple. It's, you know, you're, you they just want to know that the home is built of a certain quality. Mm-hmm. So they may or may not restrict the architectural design or other features. Others can get very pretty specific. And some of them, I think they actually have rules that are nice, you know, in, a, in nicer neighborhoods. It doesn't necessarily mean higher dollar, just people where they're concerned. They don't want 10 of the same house mm-hmm. in a 50 home community. So they want everyone to have a unique looking home. So it's kind of inviting. So in some of these cases, I think the issue is more that the story's gotten around about some homeowners associations. And some of them are, uh, I'll say, filled with interesting personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's pretty it's pretty rare that you have one that's so unique that's, that a customer might say, hey, these people are really being jerks. You know, generally they've got a, a set of uh, guidelines and you know, since we're pros in this, we understand it. We're able to navigate what what they want. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, what I found, it, it was kind of funny. There was a, there was one. This was twenty three years ago. Um, someone went through, and their their homeowners associations. Um, it wasn't written properly. Mm-hmm. It said the colors of the home must be natural. Well, that's pretty vague. Well, what what they <laughs> what this person that wrote it without understanding what they did, they took natural as being earth tones. Mm-hmm. So so they had a problem with the color that one of my customers was coming up with. And I said, well, natural, I saw a sunset last night that was bright red. Mm-hmm. So sometimes what happens in a situation like that, because as far as I know, the sun and the sunset's natural, it, it completely complied but the spirit of what they were getting at wasn't worded right. And that, that's how sometimes these go through. So if it's properly written, it'll be clear. Like, you can have horses or you can have two horses on the property mm-hmm. or you must have earth tones. And they might give examples. And you must include the colors on the plan so that people can can review it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, you, you can go through. Now, generally, people aren't wanting to do bright red houses. You know, they might have like an old barn red. You mm-hmm. know, it's kind of stylish. But... It's it's kind of a situation where uh, I I've generally found that the homeowners associations, if executed properly, um, and some of them do have people on the boards with attitudes, if executed properly, they're really just trying to maintain the the continuity of the community to maintain a value and a uh, a general real estate value and and feel of, of the community. Every once in a while, you get one that that's odd, but. We really haven't run into one that's been, what I would say, unreasonable in 15 or 20 years. Full of Karens is what you're saying. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever you want to call them. It's just, just people people that are there. The, mm-hmm. the situation is you, you do want to have a nice, balanced community mm-hmm. You know that, that's consistent with the, the, the way that you, you want to live and that you see in your, in your neighborhood. There are communities that um, there's a couple counties in Lake Colorado where – it's kind of a free for all, and those people enjoy it. Sure, they, they like the little bit of wild, wild west. They're kind of eclectic uh, communities, and they're able to do things. 
Um, and we can we can work in those communities as well, where it's kind of everyone just kind of figures it out. I'll say there, mm-hmm. there may not be a building department. The county over there might be a building department that's very stringent, but you know the 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 design of you know counties and how they enforce things are, are different. So each each community there, I guess you'd say there's kind of a standard for each community, mm-hmm. and some people like the very strict standards because then they don't have to look over the neighbor's fence and say, hey, why do you have an elephant in your backyard? Mm-hmm. You know, you could say, hey, the restriction says no animals or, hey, you can have two cats and two dogs, um, you know, d- different things like that. You know, if, where if someone wanted to start a wild animal park, you probably have to go to a totally different place. Right. So it's it's easier with the enforcement on it. You know, in some places people want different animals. They They like the ability to have a home-based business, whether it's, you know, an office thing or whether it's a, uh, you know, a mechanical shop in the back. Mm-hmm. So I, I think what, what people will find is that it, it 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 gives the opportunity to have the continuity for what the people of the neighborhood want to be. So if someone wants to be in a situation where you can't work on your car in your own driveway, they might want to work in a, live in a community like that, right. that, that yeah. restricts that. Mm-hmm. If they do want to work in their, their car in their own driveway, they should find a find a neighborhood now what's really interesting is way way back you could put certain restrictions on land that might still be on titles but a lot of those if if they're illegal or whatever have have been erased or or in some cases the businesses are there i i looked at a property once and said you can't have a blacksmith shop (laughs) which okay i don't know how many blacksmiths there are anymore you know true blacksmiths i'm sure they're there but it's not something where each neighborhood has their own blacksmith anymore Mm -hmm. right so it's 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 kind of interesting to see the navigation. So people should check that when when they when they buy a piece of land, to to just see if there are homeowners associations that are there, and and also is it recorded? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes there'll be these informal things where people say, "Oh, there's homeowners associations," but it's not recorded, mm-hmm. and that could be a double-edged sword because you know people could be pushing rules that aren't part of the community. And other times, um, you want to know you could be standing up for you know complying with a rule that really isn't there. Mm-hmm. So sure. so it it should be recorded. It should be in the 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 deed, the title work. Um, you know, so you know exactly what these restrictions are. And we're more than happy to uh, if people want to get them on their land to send them to us. We'll, we'll take a look at it. We're not lawyers, but we we understand the situation of someone saying, "Hey, can I raise chickens here? Or can I have?" Two chickens have my own eggs. What's interesting is some even, uh, you know, suburban areas are allowing chickens and beehives. Yeah, that's interesting. I've read about that. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of sometimes things change just as the community goes. But ma- mainly the situation is the ones that I see are more. You got to have a house of a certain size. Mm-hmm. They don't want people putting seven thousand square foot homes up, and you put a six hundred square foot home up. They want they so generally they want to have a certain architectural feel, a uh, a size, and then they want to do things to make sure it's a, a quality built home. Sure, but it's uh it's it's just something you have to you know kind of kind of understand. You know, it's it's like kind of going to dinners. Someone might say, hey, I want to listen to music. Well, do you want classical, kind of more quiet, or do you want to go to a head-banging metal restaurant, <laughs> you know, type of thing? So it's kind of the same thing. You just have to understand what's going on with with your land. Right. I'm going through my notes here. There's. Uh, I was going to talk to you about um, 
proximity and the issues of neighborhood builds and people's privacy. But we kind of covered that at the intro, I think, really well. So what about uh, natural restrictions? Let's move on to that. Of course, a homeowner builder will have to deal with whatever Mother Nature sets in his or her path, rocks, trees in the wrong place on the property, you know, things like that. Is that, is that something that Landmark Home and Land Company can can help you sort out? What, do you need to see the property or do you, how does that work? Well, it, it's kind of interesting because we, we've, we've run into situations where people in Northern California have redwoods in their yard. Wow. You know, mega trees. Uh-huh. We've run in situations where people have rock outcroppings or a pond or a seasonal drainage or, or stream. Mm-hmm. And then uh, another interesting one is people building around Joshua Tree National Park. The Joshua trees are protected mm-hmm. and certain plants. There's also natural restrictions of uh, you can't really build in, uh, in certain uh, nesting seasons of raptors. You know? right. So if you're... If you're in areas where, um, say, eagles, mm-hmm. ospreys, different different types of animals are, you you can't uh, you can't go and impede on them. So, the so the natural restrictions can can vary. We we just ran into one a, a beautiful property in Colorado where um, they bought a piece of land and it was explained that there's a rock out there. So I'm like snooping around at Google Earth looking at stuff. I'm like. <laughs> This doesn't look like a rock. This looks like a mega boulder right. type of thing. And after they sent pictures, there there was like a little uh, rock ledge right. that, that, that kind of restricted. Someone thought, oh, we could just build around it. Well, yeah, how much money do you want to spend removing, <laughs> you know? So you, you take that and you, and you work through it. Um, amazingly, in some places with the WUI, Wildland Urban Interface, for the fire restrictions mm-hmm. um some fire departments need us to do a site plan so a building and zoning department will have a site plan saying hey where's your house where's your driveway are you within building setbacks but a lot of these fire departments in these remote areas you know if there's a fire call they pull it up and they're like okay this is a two acre property there's a driveway to the right the house is centered in the back but over to the left there's a bunch of bushes we can't pass through and there's big boulders. Mm-hmm. So they can get a plan of action of how they get in. So, um, you know, that gets into the fire design in, in certain uh, areas, ma- mainly west coast, to make sure a fire truck can get in there. So someone, you know, so they'll, they'll have hammerheads or different things where a fire truck can get in and turn around and come back. So some of these things, as communities become more aware of the services that they have to provide to their to the people that live there, they uh, the building department wants to know, mm-hmm. you know, do you have a driveway where a fire truck can't get in because it's curved, it's up and down, it'll right. bottom out, tree overhangs, right. uh, rocks, you know, what whatever it may be. Hmm. So it's a, uh, it it it's you know a lot of people might say, hey, why is Big Brother doing all this stuff? And I don't know why they do it. You know, some of it you could see as logical, some of it you, someone may see it as imposing. The bottom line is we understand it, mm-hmm. so we can work through. It doesn't have to be a big issue that there's a big boulder in your yard and you can't build on it. Well, we just have to reposition the house or the driveway or work with certain things to, to make sure that it, that it works. Yeah. Also, Hey, this is another one. Certain States have imposed that you must have solar on your house. Oh, really? Yeah. California being one specifically there. I shouldn't say must, but generally the energy codes, dictate almost 100% of the time that you right. must have solar right. to to have uh, 
essentially a net zero house. So your house, in theory, develops the power it will need over the course of a year. So someone goes through and says, but I live up in Humboldt County. Mm-hmm. I'm going to cut down this thousand-year-old tree to have a solar panel. Mm-hmm. Well, in those cases, you can be you can work around it, and likely of they're 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 not going to say, "Hey, cut down three huge redwoods so that you can put a solar panel and be green." Mm-hmm. Those those redwoods are probably way more green than the solar panels, right? You know, so there there's a lot of different situations that that can uh, that can work out there. And it, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it seems to me like it's just a whole study into itself about, you know, building and sort of natural areas like that. Um, here's something that would be important to know when, you know, you're building in areas, say, where, let, let's say, city sewer and water supplies are, are not available on your property at all. I mean, how does Landmark Home and Land Company deal with things like you know, septic systems, water supplies, et cetera. Is that, is that simply a part of the early planning and design phase of the project or is it dealt with at a later time or how does that work? Yeah, it can become, it, it's best to know all the information up front or as much as possible. Sure. Generally, if people buy a piece of land, they'll know if municipal water and, and or sewage is available. Mm-hmm. If not, they might have to go to a well. It could be a private well. It could be a community well or... In the case of, of sewage systems, it could be a septic system or some type of you know community sewage system. Mm-hmm. So these are all things that generally work. Now, if it's a water line, like a municipal water line or sewer line, that's usually a little more clear cut. People just have to know where the connection is. Right. Because sometimes someone will use the word like sewer is available. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> that the main is in front of your lot or it's a half block away? Mm-hmm. So available, you you got to understand what's going on there. That could be checked with the the public works departments, and the same thing with water. Now, where septic becomes a little interesting, it depends on the types of soils and and the terrain of the land. So generally, septic systems, someone will need a the the soil scientist to go out, take a boring, and then make a recommendation as to the type of soils that are there and the type of septic system that'll work. Mm-hmm. Um, now with sewers, it's pretty clean. A line comes from the sewer main to the house. It's pretty clean. A septic will take more area. So depending upon the nature of the land, um, it may restrict where you put the house. Sure. Or we might have to, you know, jockey things around. It isn't as big of a deal as it, as it may appear to someone that's never done it before. Generally the, the soil scientists have an understanding where the house would go, but we tell people, if you haven't done, let's, let's kind of get a house design, do a site plan, and then, you know, have have the person doing the soil test look at to say, hey, the house is going to be here. What's the optimal place for the septic? Mm-hmm. If for some reason it's really restrictive, you know, maybe they'd have to move the house. But that's just something that, that you work out. I would say 9 out of 10 uh, tests or 95 out of 100 are go, go pretty smooth with, without big issues. Right. Uh, what they are doing in a lot of places is they're asking for reserve systems, reserve space if for some reason the uh, the initial system were to fail in the future, there, there's another, another place to use. So mm-hmm. um, septic systems can sometimes, like if you're building on the side of a hill, you know, generally they're not in sloped lands. You have to have a little flat area. So there's a... Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that that can be worked out, but again, we we've seen it before. We understand what needs to be done. We can work with their designers to 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 get that worked out. But that's all of it. That's it's also the same situation with electric or even gas. 
you know, sometimes people can't get natural gas piped in, so they have to use propane, or mm-hmm. or it's a, an electric house, so it's the same thing on, on understanding where the power line comes in. Um, but, you know, the, these are all just typical things in a project. It's, it's a daily activity for us. <laughs> it's day-to-day. It's routine. Yeah. Well, interesting. A lot of uh, valuable information today. I always like that when we finish a show, and it's just full of things that I think the listeners are going to, going to uh, benefit from hearing. So there it is. Well, thanks again, Steve, and thanks to all of you for listening to the uh, Panelized Prefab Home Building Show. But before we go, Steve, let, let the listeners know how to find out more about your company, Landmark Home and Land Company. Uh, best thing to do is look us up on the website because it's available anytime on your phone or on your computer. Um LHLC.com. That's basically the initials of Landmark Home and Land Company, LHLC.com. Um, you can also look at the website, look at plans, see videos, comment, comments, and you could put an inquiry through there. Or if you'd like to just make a call, um, you'll first talk to Mike at 800-830-9788. You can check us out there. We also have a Facebook page and Instagram page. Uh, but that's that's basically the best thing to do is take a look at the website. Um, the website is a lot of information, but we are available to talk. Everyone's project is different. Everyone, every customer has different concerns about what they like to see in their home, and you know maybe they have opinions of how it needs to be built, or they're at a different stage of the process. So we're more than happy to to talk in detail with people about. Uh, you know, their overall project. And this isn't necessarily just restricted to if you have land. If you're thinking of building in a year or two and you just want to talk and get some ideas and kind of, you know, fine-tune the direction and method of moving forward, we're we're here to help as as well. So we, we want to help people uh, get their project lined up properly. The work that you do up front and proper design, understanding of your project – uh, minimize the limiting factors it it's just easier through the actual execution budgeting and and building of the home yeah. so it's 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 kind of fun and our, our customers uh seem to enjoy it they've chosen to build their own home save the money and and control their project it's pretty cool well fantastic uh again everyone you've been listening to the panelized prefab kit home building show and steve's right it has been fun as as always so for steve tuma and myself have a great rest of your day and we will see you next time thanks steve yeah thank you this was fun it was an interesting one Mm -hmm.